Okay, so uh, so last week or last class, we uh, went through the book of uh, John chapter four, and um, and that was awesome. We're rolling along here, doing really well. You know, chapter four, he it begins with the Samaritan woman and and the whole scene there and all that we learn about Jesus, how radical he is, how socially uh, advanced he is that. He doesn't care that she's Samaritan. She's a woman. She's she's a woman of ill repute, you know, and and all this stuff that that Jesus doesn't care. He just loves people, and he gets right in there, deals with her life, shows her her need, um, doesn't worry about all the religious argument stuff, and helps her. And then the disciples come back, and she's so impacted, she runs off, tells the town. Town comes back out to hear Jesus, which is the way evangelism should work, right? That that it should be out of the overflow of our hearts. It should be from what we're excited about. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have a dynamic relationship with God, where you're growing and evolving and changing and, and overcoming things. So you have something to share, you know? I mean, you don't know how powerful something is unless you go and use it, right? Unless you flex the muscles, unless you get out there and try things and step and walk by faith. And that's when you see great things happen. If we're playing it safe or doing nothing or being at home, but not, not pushing ourselves spiritually, then we got nothing to share, you know, or whatever we do share is a hundred years old and, and really doesn't have quite the impact anymore. But, um, so we, 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 we see how it impacted the whole village and, and a lot of people believed. And we also know that later on the church really grew in that area. So we we get up to, uh, verse 43 and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and just read sections and then go back and point things out because the sections are, be, are becoming bigger and bigger in a sense that too much to put on a screen. So I might put a highlighted verse on there, like what I put on here. But um, that you'll see in a minute. But but for the most part, I'm just going to read and then we'll talk about it. So uh, chapter four, we'll pick up in verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Um, this is this is significant because, as I just read, it's the second sign. Okay, the first one was the changing the water to wine. Now it's healing the royal official's son, right? And and 
Um, and again, each one points to something about Jesus. You know, the blood, the wine, and then here the the uh, the uh, uh, the the boy that's dying is healed, and Jesus is a healer. Jesus heals people, and it's one of the things that's probably it's one of the ideas that's probably uh, growing in popularity. One of the understandings of God, understandings of Jesus lately is that has become very popular is how Jesus heals people. You know, we've always, I think that the, 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 the conviction has been around a long time that, well, Jesus can forgive sins and Jesus can help you, but specifically Jesus healing you has become very popular as we learn how so many things are caused by broken hearts or wounded hearts or, or trauma or, uh, uh, even even the ability to mourn or to process things emotionally and how how much healing we constantly need in our lives and particularly things that we've gone through in life and and um and Jesus is the great healer God is the great healer and he heals people and he heals us of so many things uh, we're going to be starting a series of testimonies that will be giving soon. And you'll get to see and hear a lot of how Jesus has healed marriages, uh, healed people from addictions, healed people from strife or anger or hatred or even things like racism or, or bitterness or uh, things like that where people were at one place completely lost emotionally and God was able to heal their hearts and help them. Uh, you know, grief recovery is one of the real popular things in the church today. And that's because of that need for healing. And that's basically people uh, who are trained helping people to process that grief and heal from some sort of trauma. So Jesus is the great healer and he heals the son. And, and this is the second sign uh, in it. I will, I will point out though, the, that Jesus challenges the people about only believing when they see signs, you know, I mean, the signs are there to help us believe, but at some point we've got to go, we've, we've got to extend that conviction of belief of faith, or we just trust Jesus. You know, how many miracles do you have to see before you decide to trust Jesus? You know, and, and that's kind of what he was challenging them as he's been doing miracle, miracle, miracle. And they only believe if they see a miracle. Now that's good. If you see a miracle and you believe, and that's exactly what happened here because of what happened. It says that uh, their whole household believed and that that is good. But at some point you've seen enough, you've heard enough that you can extend it. I mean, we don't, we don't faith. You you, you have to have faith just to even get out of bed. I mean, you get out of bed, you put your feet on the ground, you believe this floor is going to hold you up and you don't know that for a fact, but you believe it you believe the floor is solid. You believe there's not a hole underneath you. You believe the wood's not so decayed that you're going to fall through into the basement. Um, you just believe that. Every time you sit in a chair, you believe. Why? Because you've done it enough times that you don't. You no longer question it. Now you know. You know. Okay, most chairs are solid. So you don't sit there and check the screws and everything. Or when you go over a bridge on the freeway or the highway or or, or cross a river, you don't pull over and check all the bolts on the bridge because you've gone over enough of them that now you have confidence. And at some point, we need to have confidence in God. We need to have confidence in Jesus that we just believe him. You know, this is what, this is what, um, 
what God has proven to me. And, and for me personally, honestly, it happened a long time ago. (laughs) I mean, he proved himself. And now, not that I don't slip into doubting sometimes or slip into worrying or slip into being anxious about things. And that's where I got to remind myself. I have to kind of recalibrate, put my eyes back on Jesus and remind myself, he's never failed me. He's never forgotten me. He's never dropped me. He's never, he's never gone against his word. Why would he now? He wouldn't. <sighs> so I can just trust him. I can trust him. And, and I know if I'm in God's hands, I'm in good hands. And no matter what Satan throws at me, and sometimes that's where we get tangled up because we think, well, what if God doesn't protect me? Well, here's the thing is that, that Satan is the ruler of this world and bad things will happen. But God is always there to help us. He's always there to help us through things. And that's what you can trust. You can't trust that, oh, nothing bad will ever happen. Um, you know, that that that's ridiculous. We live in a fallen, cursed world. Um, b- bad things are going to happen. But what we can trust is that God will always be there to help us, to rescue us, to heal us, to meet our needs. So that that, that, that that's a good gist of the end of chapter four. Now, chapter five, we go right into another healing. And uh, this is a classic healing. Um, in, and it says, in, in, I'm going to read 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once he was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd, and that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I love this scene because it's such a, it's a great classic scene of, of G, how Jesus operates. So the backstory is we have this pool in Bethesda. And it's, and it's believed to have healing properties, but you have, well, the water will stir, which is, which it's believed that the spirit of God would stir the water. And the first one in the pool gets healed. Well, this guy, um, he's, he's been an invalid for many years and he can't just jump in the pool. So by the time he gets himself to the pool, somebody's already in there. And, and so Jesus comes up to him and, and he asks, this is the, this is one of the rare times Jesus is the one who initiates. He says, do you want to get well? And of course, the, the, the man gives him an excuse, says, well, this is what keeps happening to me. I can't get to the pool. Da, 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 da. 
And and but you have to stop and ask yourself again. I always remember every time Jesus asks a question, why is he asking this question? What is he trying to show or highlight? Most of his questions are rhetorical questions, and even if they're not rhetorical questions, what is he drawing out of us? So he asks the man, "Do you want to get well?" And I mean, I imagine everybody sitting around thinking, "Well, of course he does," but it's a valid question because sometimes. Even when the solution is there, we don't take it. Even when there's a way out, we don't take it. And sometimes we 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 just we don't do what we need to do to get well, even though we know what to do. But we'll go around and act like, oh poor me, I can't change, I can't get better, or I can't, you know, have this or have that. When the truth is we haven't decided to do it, to do whatever it takes. We haven't committed ourselves to it. We haven't jumped. We haven't walked by faith. We haven't give up what we need to give up or whatever. That there's, in other words, there's another reason, and it's not that we're incapable of. It's that there's something else blocking us, and we're not moving it. And so the question is is a good question. You know, I mean, a lot of us we get stuck in situations. Maybe your marriage is not going great. Do you want it to go great? The solution's right here. So the question is, are we willing to make the changes necessary to have a great marriage? Or we want to have a great relationship with our kids. You know, we want to have a great relationship with our daughter, a great relationship with our son. Well, are we willing to change what we need to change? Do we really want to get, make it great? And if we really want to make it great, then we're willing to change things. I remember there were several years where when my, when my son hit the, the preteen years, 10, 11, 12, he and I were just clashing, clashing, clashing. And honestly, you know, like, like a knucklehead, I thought he was the one at fault. And I'm over here blaming him. And if he would just change and we used to have a great relationship, he just needs to. And, and I remember we asked a couple to come and have, um, dinners with us on Wednesday night. This was a couple who'd raised two sons and, they were older than us, um, and I just asked them, I want you to watch my marriage dynamics, my family dynamics, and give me feedback. And he pointed out right away, he said, dude, you're the problem. I'm like, what? You know, and he pointed out dynamics in me and my son's relationship, and he said, you need to change. And I was like, wow, okay. So so I worked on it, and, and it took a while, but we were able to heal our relationship. And, but that really was on me to, to, to do what I have to do. And I, at first I didn't see it. And then even when he pointed out to me, I didn't want to accept it at first. I fought it. I thought, no, yeah, but you got to understand he, this, he, that, he, that. And we oftentimes do that. We, the God will present the solution, but we have to decide, yes, I want to get well. I want to, I want this in my life or I want that in my life. And I'm willing to do whatever I got to do. I got if I got to change, I'll change. So, anyways, so that, that that's a great question Jesus asked. And then, of course, um, uh, Jesus heals them, and he tells them, you know, get up and pick up your mat and walk. And I love this because he doesn't always say that. You know, so he says different things. He does different things. Usually, again, you've always got to ask yourself, okay, why is Jesus doing this? Why does he tell him pick up his mat and walk? Jesus knows that it is expressly forbidden to carry a mat on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. 
There is a rule against that. And he says, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, he's, he is, he's challenging it head on. Classic Jesus. If it's wrong, boom, he goes up against it. He highlights it. He points it out. He challenges it, you know, and, and of course, the, the, the Jewish leaders, they're, they're mad. You're taking your mat on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And you're not supposed to say, pick up your mat and, and walk. And I love it. The guy, the guy is, of course, they're not taking on Jesus because he slipped away. They're taking on the guy in the mat. Uh, and he didn't even know who Jesus is. He goes, I don't know. Some guy told me to pick up my mat and walk. And I got up, mat, my, I got up and what else am I going to do? I'm going to pick up my mat and walk. And he's, he's deferring. It's almost a funny scene, you know, and he's looking around. He can't see Jesus. I don't know where the guy is and I don't know who he was and where he slipped off to. Um, but it's a great, great scene. And, um, and then later on, Jesus finds him and says, see, you are well again. Now here's a really interesting thing. He says, he says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So was his debilitation connected to a sin? Was he doing something that was making him invalid? Or did he do something young as a young man and became an invalid? Or, or is it just general, you know, don't go out there and dump, jump into a life of sin or you're going to, something else is going to happen to you. I don't know, but the point is don't sin. Take care of your life. You know, try to have a great life. Don't, don't trash your life again. You've got a great life. I mean, we don't know what made him invalid. I don't get the feeling that, I mean, he was there a long time. There must have been something connected to what he, his actions were. But the point is, is don't sin. Have Set yourself up to have a great life. Avoid sin. Stay away from sin. I remember there was a story of a coach who he walked in the locker room and he had a box. And all he said, okay, I want all the te- team to come here, come here. And all the team comes and they circle around him. And he takes the box and he empties it out on the table and it's full of snakes. And everybody goes running off in a direction. And, and he said, and he says to them, he calls them all back. And he says, exactly the way you acted with these snakes is how I want you to act with drugs. I want you to flee from them. You know, and that's what the Bible teaches us. Flee from your evil desires. Flee from your sin. Flee from temptation. Stay away from it because it will ruin your life. So the, here's Jesus teaching them. And he says, there's something worse is going to happen to you. I mean, there's a, there's a, I, I love preaching the story of Jonah, but the, I'll tell you that my, two of my points in that sermon are things can always get worse and things can always get better, you know, and that's up to us and how we act and things that we do, right? It's up to us, but um, it really, it makes a difference. So the good question there, do you want to get well? You got to ask yourself, do I want a great life? Do I want a great marriage? Do I want a great family? Do I want to, at the age of 70, if I live that long, be able to look back and say, I lived a great life? Or I made, I, 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 I took care of the most important things in my life. You decide that. That's in your hands. So that's very important to recognize and know that. Um, so we keep reading. Now we're to 16 through 18. 
So Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You know, I mean, here's the intense thing is that, you know, they, that, um, that Jesus associates a very special relationship with God. So my father, you know, my father and I are always working. We're basically saying I'm in cahoots here with God. We're, we're working together on this and, and he does whatever the father tells him to do. And that's what he does. And that's the only thing he does. And they, of course, were angry because first of all, you know, who dares call God, the God of the universe, dad. And that's basically what Jesus was calling him. And secondly, by the fact that he was saying they're doing the same thing, he's equating himself to God. And and make no mistake, people who want to say Jesus is not God in the flesh, it's all over the scriptures. There's so many ways that Jesus is claiming an equal status with God or an equal essence of God. So we'll keep reading. Verse uh, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life, to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. You know, this is this is pretty intense teaching that Jesus is equating himself with God and that they're one and they work together. Um, honestly, we could probably... This little discourse of teaching that Jesus gives on him and his father, um, you've you've already got the gist of it. But he goes back and he and he explains it even further how exclusive that is, that 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 if and how important it is to recognize this. That if you reject the son, you reject the father, and and you cannot you cannot accept the father without accepting the son. And he ties that all in together. Um, and, Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all of it, but but uh, the last part we'll, we'll we'll go through that. And in verse thirty nine, we'll start there. It says, "You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now this 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 is this is actually really important because." One of the things you find out is, is 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 you go back and you study Genesis all the way all the way up to Malachi. There are so many scriptures about Jesus and so many things that point to Jesus and so many events. And in fact, every major character is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. And 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 you'll see that the, the more you get to know Jesus the more you see it in the Old Testament. 
And the better you know the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the better you see Jesus and you understand Jesus. And most of us as Christians, we get, you know, a basic understanding of the Gospels in Sunday school and the stories, and we get a real basic, which is great, which is wonderful, but that's kind of where we start. Had we grown up Jewish, we'd grown up with the Pentateuch, we'd grown up hearing everything from Adam, you know, all the way to the prophets. And and what we would know, and this is what later on, so why the church started with Jews, because they recognized, they, they knew, they knew what the scripture said, they knew all these scriptures point to him. And what Jesus was challenging the Pharisees is, look, you guys know the scriptures and yet you don't recognize me. And and here's the thing is that you can memorize scriptures and miss the point. You can know the Bible forward and backward and miss the point. In fact, Jesus quotes later on the book of Isaiah, you know, there will be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, but never perceiving. You know, they will be blind, even though they're looking at what they've been studying, they don't get it. They can't put it together. And in fact, the parable of the sower, um, on the last, you know, there's, there's, there's the classic, you know, hearts, the different kinds of hearts. And then the last heart is the, is the heart that's, that's the right heart. And it says the word is tsunami. In other words, it means that it put things together. It understood. It understood how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. For the most part, as Christians, we don't go back and study that out, all, all that out. But it, keep in mind that during this time, they didn't have a New Testament. So all they had was what we call the Old Testament. And that's what they, the, the apostles and the early Christians, they would sit down and share with other Jews all the prophecies and all the ways that Jesus, uh, the scriptures point to him. There's enough there that it should be fairly obvious that anybody who knew the Old Testament well would recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So uh, that's pretty intense. That's pretty amazing stuff there. And, and he says, look, you, you study it diligently looking for life, but you've missed life. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, right? But they missed him. You don't want to be the person who misses Jesus. And we can think, well, okay, but we're not Jews. Yeah, well, we we may not be Jews, but but we still can miss Jesus. We can still not get it. We can still live our lives being devoted to other things more than we are to Jesus. We can still miss what's really important here. In fact, I would say, I would dare say that many, many religious people who go to church every Sunday miss it. They miss Jesus. They don't get him and they don't understand and that's a fatal mistake. You have to make sure you really know Jesus, you understand Jesus, you walk with Jesus. There's certain things that you've got to do to be able to, to know him and understand him. And that's living out his teachings day after day through thick and thin, especially when it's hard. That's when you really learn a lot of things about Jesus. Um, you know, for as much as we hate suffering and we hate going through hard times, it's in those hard times that we often learn a lot about Jesus and, and learn a lot about what he did and why he did what he did. And honestly, it's where we appreciate most who he is for us. So 
We go on reading, he says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name. He's talking to the Pharisees here. And you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you did not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You know, so basically he was saying, look, it's it's all pretty clear in the scriptures here. If you just read with a humble and open mind, it's all clear. But if you read the scriptures just looking for what you want to look for and believing what you want to believe in, you're not going to get it. You're going to miss the most important part. It's always struck me, how is it that some of the most atrocious murders, killings, slaughters in history were in the name of God? Even Christian soldiers and armies and some of the worst things done in the history of the world were done in the name of God. Well, they were done by people who knew who he was, but didn't know the scriptures, didn't understand what was being said and what was being taught. And half an understanding sometimes is the most dangerous thing. When somebody has half an understanding, but pretends they understand it wholly. We have to understand, we also always have to have the the conviction, we're constantly learning, we're constantly growing, in our understanding. And that helps us to keep adding and never assume that we've got it all down. We know everything we need to know. No, we don't. We're learning and growing. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm learning. I'm learning. Probably the last 10 years, I've learned more about Jesus than, than the previous 10 years. And the previous 10 years were pretty rocking. And, and, and yet I'm learning so much right now about Jesus and following him and what I need to be and how to be that and how to fill my heart with Jesus, how to be focused on him and how to be closer to him. So these are, these are all great things. This is, this is, and this is why we're studying the book of John. I mean, Jesus is awesome. We're getting to know him better. We're getting to understand him and everything we read, we're always asking, okay, what do we learn about Jesus? You know, what do we learn about him by what he's doing? what he's saying and what he's teaching. So we'll stop there. And as we close out, I do want to remind you that this coming um, weekend, we have a very special service. We have an all LA or multi-regional LA service. Our theme is safer at home. And it's about God in the house and God uh, taking us home. And uh, so please and stay connected if uh, please register, subscribe on MetroLARegion.com. Love to have your email so I can send you some of the studies and things that we'll be doing in the future and, and stay connected together. So thank you so much, and we'll see you at the next study.